0: Hello everyone and welcome back to A Pint with Peter, a podcast where I sit down with my dad and have a bit of a chat. Now at the start of this podcast, I asked my dad about his adventures to India. and We finished last week's episode on a bit of a cliffhanger with his hotel room being raided by police. Now I'm sure you're all excited to find out what these men want with my dad. I mean, the shenanigans he's got up to in previous episodes might have something to do with it, but you never know. If this is your first time joining us and you're wondering how he got into this situation then I recommend you go back to the start and listen from episode one because we're going to jump straight back into it now. Thanks again everyone and welcome back.
1: blue one night the door was barged open and we were
0: confronted by four plain clothes turkish police i was kind of hoping it was the french people that no. tried, <laughs> finally <laughs> tra- tracked you down for those parchments uh, i know you guys know about phil a few years later
1: there was um a film it, it grossed yeah, quite a great, I wouldn't say millions of dollars but it was a popular film. The film was called Midnight Express. Yeah. We have a movie, yeah, Midnight Express. Yeah, I think it. Midnight Express came out in 1977 but it, if you don't know the movie, it's the story of an American guy who was in, well part, part of it is filmed at the pudding shop, funny. Um, I've never read the book, it's from a book but the book and the film apparently are quite different but um, he was arrested for trying to smuggle two kilograms of hash and basically spent about four years in a turkish prison if you if you ever watch the movie it's worth getting in, in the movie, there's all sorts of things going on, you know, like homosexual rape. And the Turkish people were quite fed up with this movie because it showed them in a very poor light. It's funny, around the time, uh, around that time, just to give you a little cultural insight, Alexis Sale, a little later on in the 80s, was becoming popular. You know Alexei yeah. Sale. And around the time, there was um, an advert for American Express, you know, the bank cards. Yeah. And the catch line for the advert was, you know, you get some slimy creep handing a the card and it's uh, American Express, that'll do nicely, sir. <laughs> and that was part of Alexis Sale's act because he would say, oh, Midnight Express, that'll do nicely, sir. And if anybody ever sounds of punching and kind of <laughs> anal rape in the background, you know what I'm saying? It was a real groundbreaking film in a way because by that time the hippie trail had more or less gone anyway. So this was our Midnight Express feeling. You know, obviously the movie hadn't. The movie came later, but um, it was heavy. It really was heavy, and they basically, um, to be fair, they didn't give us a beating or anything, but they completely ransacked the bags. And it was really touch-and-go, because they they found the knife I told you about, you know, the butterfly yeah. Yeah. that they opened up. They are very interested in that, and luckily they didn't open the can of cherry blossom. Oh, mm. so close. Because had exactly. they found the can of
0: cherry blossom with its contents... Um, well, they had probably taken you away. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah,
0: like um, a bribe. I
1: mean, like a bribe would it have worked? Uh, oh, well, you never know. I mean, back in the day, you certainly would have got a beating. But luckily, they they didn't um, they didn't pick up on it. But it was really really hairy, um, really frightening. Because if you if you look at the history of that period, you know I told you about how in Afghanistan the um, and in in Nepal the 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 American government, the U.S. government was putting an awful lot of pressure. ...on these countries to stop the trade in in hashish and opium and so on and so forth. And probably those governments were receiving possibly maybe not millions of dollars. But um, in Nepal, as I told you before, they closed down the government hash shops... And in Turkey at the time, Turkey was getting a lot of money from the States, and I think they were really, really shaking down any travellers. Because interestingly, if you, again, if you go into Wikipedia, you know, problems we're having at the moment in in Syria with the Kurds, how Turkey are invading the Kurdish lands. Um, Check it out on Wikipedia. Turkey, in the 60s and the 70s, was probably the main producer of heroin, and yeah, you know, drugs like that, for the world. If you, if you check it out, that area of Kurdistan, I think cocaine too, stuff like that, it was being channeled through to, to Europe from there. So it was quite a dodgy period. Mm. And it got worse because yeah you know, we, we, we were down to um, you know, not having a, a, barely any money, and uh, even then, I think you had an emerging kind of criminality that was directed at travelers. you know it's like anywhere, particularly if you're going mm. in a poor country. I remember the incident. Um, we were in one of the big squares in, in Istanbul, and this guy just yeah, seedy kind of guy, you could tell you know fast talking, and uh, he wanted us to change money. And what he did, it was probably a well-known scam at the time. He pulled out this note, this banknote, And this banknote, was something like 50,000 lira, Turkish lira. You know, it's really yeah. big denomination note. It's like, you know, you being handed a 50-pound note. Um, and he said, you know, you, you, you trust me, you give me your money, and you, you look after this for me, and then, <laughs> then I see you. And of course, the note, it was probably some discontinued currency. Mm. so we, we were really buggered you know we um well thank God we weren't buggered but um we we had that trouble with the police and then we lost money money
0: there and um like did the police take money from you no, like, no, just, just no just I what think, they found I think
1: we got lucky uh, I think we got lucky because um
0: they so you think you were just targeted by it like they saw you go in yeah and yeah and because, of, like... because
1: of your appearance and yeah. so yeah yeah I mean, it's a funny thing, I mean, just um, a little aside, one thing that really, I can't think of the term, one thing that interested us um, when we were in Istanbul is is the way in which uh, men would walk around hand in hand. That was quite interesting. Mm, even, even men, because it's a sign of friendship, it's nothing yeah. to do with being homosexual or whatever. That was quite funny for our kind of English sensibility, you know. We... Got out of Turkey pretty quickly, and um, my next recollection, because we were really skedaddling, we ended up in Munich. Once you got to Turkey, by the way, once you got to Istanbul, you felt you were home and hosed, by the way. Even though it is still quite a considerable distance, you you felt that the journey was over. Another really quite telling memory I have you know, if I was a painter, if if I had real ability as a writer, you could really write it up. We rocked up in in Munich, you know, where I think you're
0: going. On yeah, to. I fly there tomorrow. And um,
1: my recollection is, it was a it was a long, slow train, and the train crawled into the station at Munich, and uh, I'm sure it's not so different now. And on the station platforms you had eating places. And uh, coming from the often overt poverty of particularly India, I remember, and don't forget, we didn't have a lot of money and we we weren't eating very well. And it was a cold day. It was really cold. So my memory is, is of seeing these fat German men Wearing car coats. Do you know what a car coat is? It used to be fashionable. I have to explain it to. It's just like um, a, a, like a big thick felt coat with fur. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're called car coats back in the day, and they had trilbies on trilbies car coats, and they were they were standing there eating these enormous steaming masses of pink meat. It was probably bratwurst or something like that. And even though it was cold, they were standing there, legs of Kimbo, quaffing these enormous steins of lager. It was a, it was a, it was a really strong image yeah. of, of, of plenty, and, a,
0: and of opulence, and of greed, and
1: you know, I, I call it my kind of bratwurst
0: and beer. They kind of like your representation of the West and the yeah,
1: East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite because when I was a kid, we used to um, don't forget when I was a kid, you only had two channels. You know, you had BBC and ITV basically. And um, my two favourite programmes were Robin Hood. Yeah, mm-hmm. Robin Hood. So you had yeah, Friar Tuck with, with Robin Hood. And my other favourite programme was uh, William Tell. And they, they had um, a burger. Do you, know what a, do you know what a burger is? It's like an important... Uh, <laughs> yeah. like an important... like a mayor. Oh, OK. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant the food, I like, yes, <laughs> no, no, you, know, you know the Pied Piper of Hamelin, where they come into the town and, and the, the mayor, the burger comes out and they're always they're a bit like, henry the eighth yeah, yeah. And, now that you uh, said that i can visualize them. yeah so my, my munich thing I, I put here burgers on burgers on beer and bratwurst and it really really struck me um you yeah, know what an image um, i can imagine we eventually managed to get through to um i think we hitched from munich again I mean, I, I could talk to you for a whole hour about hitchhiking. Uh, hitchhiking back then was culturally very, very acceptable. Everybody
0: hitched, even even women huh. could hitch solo women. So um, like I say, even if your mum wanted to go to the shop, well, <laughs> it's always that a generational thing. Well, I,
1: I think, you know, I, I think, I mean, it's a bit apocryphal. I, I think what? literally, no pun intended, killed hitchhiking. There was a movie called The Hitcher, you know, where basically this person was picking up hitchhikers and doing them in. Yeah. And I think it had a really big... But, but back in the day, you, you could hitchhike really, really easily. I think, I think hitchhiking in Europe began with the armed forces during the Second World War. You know, if you, I'm, I'm guessing, during during the World War, wouldn't be the First World War, of course, because there weren't many cars about, but in the Second World War, if you were seen in uniform and you just stood at the side of the road, everybody would give you a lift. And, and back in the day, when I was at college in Manchester, you, you could easily just stand outside, you know, altering them and put your thumb out. You could go to London or anywhere. Wow. It's really easy, really easy. It's quite easy to bunk on trains as well, as it so happens. But um, hitchhiking was very, very popular, and uh, I'm not suggesting we have a hitchhiking podcast. But I think uh, it'll be
0: an interesting but, subject. But
1: yeah. what, what, what I found really, because I'm quite a talkative person, and I'm quite so. easygoing, and uh, I haven't changed. That much from being in my twenties what I, what I used to find with hitchhiking really fascinating was because you were By definition, a complete stranger. It's quite amazing what people will tell you. I've I've had people giving me their life story and and giving me all sorts of confessions. It's like being in a confessional booth.
0: Do you think it's because there's no strings attached? Absolutely. You don't know that who that person's talking about, so they can vent about it. Yeah,
1: it's really really quite interesting.
0: I always wonder
1: because um, one guy who gave me a lift around that time, he was I could tell from his manner and what he was saying i'm just wondering if he went off and topped himself actually (laughs) oh
0: God!
1: yeah i was always wondering about that you know you could tell he was contemplating this might be the last person i see on earth sort of thing but hitching was easy so we we hitched from munich again i I don't think it was one lift we we were lucky because we had a lift from london to munich i mean how good Mm -hmm. is that and um we ended up on the cross channel ferry And we were absolutely, I remember uh, a salient memory is we were absolutely bloody starving by this time. And, you know, the decks had run out and everything. And uh, I remember wandering around the deck of this uh, cross-channel ferry, watching people eating chips. It was like something from Dickens. And being too proud um, to actually ask. And I remember we, we were kind of like seagulls, like human seagulls, watching people and just checking if they left any. I remember <laughs> they, like, we managed to scavenge some chips. So I remember that really distinctly. And we, we got back to um, to England and we got another... I mean, hitching from London was dead easy. There were kind of various points where you could just put your thumb out and you get a lift, you know, you're going north, mate, and that sort of thing. I ended up um, back in Derbyshire because I think, I think on podcast three or whatever, um, I, I got home and um, my mum, God bless her. You know, it's the way things were, in a way. She wasn't gushing or anything. It was basically coming in through the door, you know, hello, mum. And then she'd say something like, did you have a nice time? Do you want something to eat? Putting a plate of baked beans and toast in front of him, that was it.
0: That, that or that's it. <laughs> like she didn't ask about, you know, Yeah, just no,
1: no real curiosity or whatever, yeah. it's a, uh, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it, it's a weird one. Did,
0: did she ever ask about it, or was not it... Not really, off? no,
1: no, not really, it was it's, I think, I think it was so divorced from, you know, her experience, because my mum, you know, was like a, a lot of people of her generation, she never left England. I think, obviously, she went to Wales. She might have gone to Scotland. But, you know, for you guys, it might surprise you. You know, for her generation... If you were a guy, more likely because of being in the armed services or whatever, or being conscripted, you possibly would have had um, experience. Same for Julie's mum. I, I don't think Julie's mum ever went abroad, whereas Julie's father would have been all over the world in the merchant uh, navy. You know, it's uh, it's a funny one. So I, I lasted about two days, I think, and then um, I went. Um, with Barney back so, to a little village a little small town actually In so you weren't sick of each other just, just oh, quite, God, yeah no, 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 not at all and um, back then I don't know if I told you but his father, yeah, I think I told you probably, probably podcast one about Barney's family, I mean they were they land or yeah, yeah, old land yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah, yeah oh I forgot the f- one interesting feature about Greg's brother when I first heard of Greg, you know, you like this, it's a real sign of the times. When he left university, he moved to the Dordoy to write porn novels and <laughs> breed snails. Oh, It's li- little detail I missed out. He's living the dream. I'm talking about the middle classes, yeah. so how they go on. He, he went to the door, door, which at the time would have been really remote, to write porn and, and breed snails. Um, but I I saw a later iteration where he was living in Little Venice and dealing in carpets, amongst other things. But um, Barney, I think you know, we had a, we had an antique shop. Yes, yeah, was, I remember the an This an antique shop, antique shop. was in the middle of a, of a beautiful... Um, Medieval square in a little uh, Derbyshire town. So I, I went to stay w- with him, with a view to um, you know helping him out with with the business. I think I told you before. Um, back then, it was before the TV programs. You, you could buy stuff and sell it on quite nicely. And um, I got back, and um, I've got a diary entry here from 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 the time Christmas uh, Derbyshire. So you didn't make it back for Christmas. We then. did make it back, oh, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't a great Christmas. And uh, I've got a, I got one of my diary entries here. It goes something like... Uh, we went for a drink at the Dragoon. It was raining heavily, ladling rain flung in from the nearby moors. We were across the car park, orange neon lighting up our wet features. Massive car park, empty, unguarded areas like this were potentially dangerous, made for pissing in, throwing <laughs> punches. <laughs> fracturing bones with steel-toed boots i'm giving you a kind of flavor of the time the dragoon had three small bars one of them below street level i'm mentioning this because even though i in particular was penniless we had it literally a bit of a windfall and uh, in the pub i remember the uh, pubs were much rougher then much rougher can yeah. imagine. Um, and the landlord was called Tony he, he was always kind of hostile and seriously alcoholic. And <laughs> I can see him now, a roll up dangling from his wet lips. you know what I mean? Yeah, so. Can fit back in the day, I mean, to be honest, um, not in any of the boozers I went into. But I know some of the boozers we maybe would have gone to in London around those times. I mean, first of all, they had um, like strippers at lunchtime amazingly yeah, you know, full on yeah. full on i'm not you know i'm talking about completely naked and boobs and blush. just ordinary just ordinary pubs but um back in london i never witnessed it myself back in the day you know if if trouble uh broke out they'd often have a dog behind the bar when <laughs> I mean, things got bad it's like phoenix oh. nights they'd, the do- they'd let the dog out and pull yeah. the shutters down yeah. <laughs> i I'm, I'm not kidding, yeah. It was less kind of politically correct. You know, no, you yeah. wouldn't do that because if the dog but um
0: there know our friend whose parents is are the landlords, so they have two big Alsatians, I don't, don't they? they? maybe <laughs> after a while. Yeah. Yeah, but um
1: but what we did, I mean I read this to your mum, and uh, she was saying, yeah, I mean, you've got the flavour there of a the pub in, in the 70s, but actually I was past a pub yesterday, and those fruit machines are still quite popular, aren't oh, they? Oh, yeah. yeah. The fruit machines, but um, the fruit machine we went on, it had what was called an each-way treble, and uh, the jackpot was £25. So oh. I mean, you work it out, £25 okay. is a week's wages, uh, and... We put a shilling in the slot, pulled pulled the handle down to get the wheels in motion. I remember, I think it must have been the sound of the wheels moving around. The landlord's deranged Alsatian suddenly put its paws up on the wet bar and started growling. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean? So... You were thinking, Jesus. And we put another shilling down, and, and we got uh, four black diamonds. I remember it. It's not quite as memorable as being on the Himalayan hillside. I remember it was um, four black diamonds, amazingly, black diamonds, because diamonds aren't normally black or oh, they're they're red. Right. Four black diamonds on a sickly yellow background. You check it out, it's a piece of kind of uh, history and, and it delivered its payload. I, c- I can see it now. Yeah, actually, it was as good as that experience <laughs> yeah. on the hillside. It was a tinkling flow of shilling and two shilling coins gushed out right next to Jerry's ear. Jerry was a guy we knew at the time. Tony slammed down a short measured pint of harp onto the four mica. Fucking jackpot, you lucky twats. <laughs>
0: gonna say
1: did people jump here so you so you're moving from the kind of sublime on that hillside to to the ridiculous you know and i remember all the change because we weren't regulars attracted the attention of some of the locals because um, back then i mean don't get me wrong it's nothing like uh say being a person of color being abused or a, a homosexual person being abused back then um, if you were like us, if you had long hair and you were smoking French pipes and wearing Afghan coat, you would have looked, yeah, you know, a little bit freaky. Um, so we 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 got we got out quickly. And um, I can see Tony now handing over four soiled five pound notes and five one pound notes. So you got the four mica. So do you know what four mica is? It's like a kind of cheapo plastic. Never heard of it. So four mica. Check it out. So there there we were. So we, we were flush. We had 25 quid. And um, again, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but another kind of memory of the time. Obviously, it, it was Christmas and it was it was typically kind of miserable. Do you know what I mean? All this sleeting and snowing um, I remember staying uh, with Barney and um, he had a, a table tennis table up in the attic this was a three storey building by the way and uh, we used to play we used to take a load of uh, dexedrine or mandrax or whatever and play table <laughs> tennis you can imagine can't that you that would be very fun yeah you can imagine and Barney being I was reading funnily enough a review of that guy from
0: Suede. is
1: he called Brett's
0: Brett oh, I was listening to a podcast. Yeah, the other
1: day. Yeah, this kind of vibe. It's called, called Brett. Day, this yeah. kind of vibe uh, is. It's like a continuous line. What you what you were listening to that guy from Suede going on about, he would have recognised immediately that vibe with the table tennis and all the pretensions and stuff. Because all around the walls, you know, Barney and one of his friends is, it, it would copy out quotes from Voltaire and Rambo and stuff like that. So you'd have big, scrawly letters with, uh, you know, man is born three but everywhere, he's in chains and things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, Yeah, but my last last kind of memory of that time was, um, have I told you this before? I managed eventually to escape the tensions of Barney and Co. They went to sleep, and I I remember, I've told you this before. Don't think so. Because of the building, you could look down across the square into a hotel opposite... Yeah, the scene yeah. in the hotel opposite. And uh, one of my last memories of that Christmas was, and again, it's got, got in a, you know, it's 40-odd years ago, and I still remember it now. I was just smoking my jetan, leaning against this window, looking down into into the dark square, and in the hotel opposite. Like something from Samuel Beckett, or I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Philip Larkin, poet. Mm-hmm. I mean, his kind of sombre, seedy kind of visions and uh, I was there it must have been probably one o'clock in the morning and uh, I could see into this hotel room and the curtains weren't drawn and back in the day you didn't have posh lights like this you kind of had naked light bulbs which gave off a kind of weird kind of subaquatic gloom you know what mm-hmm. I mean I remember watching this guy pissed he was probably my age but back in the day you looked a lot older do you know what I mean mean, when you were in your 60s you really were fucked basically (laughs) because you probably done a hard life I remember watching this guy crawl drunkenly to the bed and I I remember it must have taken him about half an hour (laughs) And I watched him taking off his shirt and taking off his boots and in this yellow light and going to bed. And it was like a kind of glimpse of the future, unless I got my shit together. Do you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. to you here? Another life.
0: It like it was, like it, it was like
1: it was like a, a apocryphal. Yeah, it was uh, apocalyptic, I, I guess. You know, I was looking at this seedy, probably lonely, pissed kind of old man getting into his seedy bed, and I thought, wow, I've got to get my act together here, you know, this has all been great, and um, at the time, a lot of people I knew, oddly, were in Toronto, the -hmm. the kind of pull uh, for people was was Toronto, so you're going to have to leave me here, standing in that... Cold, solitary bedroom, looking down on that elderly man getting into his bed, and was me thinking, you know, what can I do to make a bit of money and make a bit of a living and move away from this currently, you know, not great situation. So if you want to leave it there, yeah, we'll end it
0: there because I think that was going to be my next question for the, probably the next few podcasts, just life after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hippie trail, because yeah. we're back in blighty now. Yeah. So now it's progressing on from there with with the podcast I and mean, yeah. you have plans. So be interested to hear. Maybe my life finished then. <laughs> <laughs> Julie's probably sc- scathing yeah. in the kitchen now. So I, I, I
1: do believe that. I mean I, mean, I think most people, um, if you're lucky, three or four, um, you know, cr- critical kind of periods in your life. You know. Yeah, I've got, I've got some writing here on it. Yeah. Beneath the naked light bulb, an elderly man, tall, blow-balding, skeletally thin, hobbled over to the curtains, half-heartedly tugged at the nets, then slumped onto the bed. Wee looked down in fascination through the rectangle of one light at the solitary figure. He looked like a pallid fish in a gloomy aquarium with broken lighting. The fishman shuffled slowly to a corner of a rickety brass bed frame, rheumatoid, drunk, oblivious. He eased down his braces, undid his collarless shirt, and then struggling to untie his shoes, fell back onto the mattress. Tugging at his trousers, he moved over to the darkened corner of the room where he pulled open the door. Doors of an enormous wardrobe and started to pee into its copper-like <laughs> bottom drawer. Yeah, that's a detail I've forgotten. Just for a moment, he seemed to look up straight into Pee Wee's eyes. He smiled inanely, timelessly. Pee Wee stepped back from the window. He'd gazed into the possibility of future times. An old man in a bare room endlessly pissing into an empty drawer. <laughs> that's a good point to leave it, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think? Oh, it's a perfect little. That's a that that perfect ending. Mm. so We've gone all the way to Nepal and we're ended on pissing in a wardrobe. Yeah. I just piss in sinks now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've gone up, gone up in the world. Yeah. yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, the pissing in the drawer. I forgot that detail. That's quite a critical detail. Yeah.
0: Peter Vaughan over to piss in a drawer, but a sink. Oh, well, hope everyone's enjoyed our... Pee-wee
1: carefully closed the window (laughs) behind him. He sensed that something somewhere down there in the basement had become unworkable and irreparable. Time for change.
0: well everyone that is it we have reached the end of my dad's adventures to india episode one we left good old blighty and 13 episodes later we are finally back home but don't worry this is not the end of the podcast we are now going to transition into the original idea where i sit down with my dad and get his take on a certain subject now this is where we really want you to get involved. Is there just something you're dying to hear my dad talk about? Well, the best thing to do is to get in contact with us. The best way to do that is on Twitter, at a pint with Peter, or just send us an email, a peter at gmail.com. And also one more thing, my dad has always been tempted to get his adventures down on paper and turn it into a book. Now, if this is something you'd be interested in, I'm sure he would love to know. Well, thanks everyone, and we hope you stick around for future installments.